the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So the guy probably looked at Jesus and said, yeah, he could probably pick me up and throw me in the pool and I'd get there before everybody else and I'd finally get wealth. And like many people, his expectations of what Jesus could do for him were limited to what he thought was possible. And what he didn't recognize is that he was in the presence of God incarnate and with God, all things are possible. Amen. Amen. Welcome back to another edition of Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. He's in the book of John. Once again, the fifth chapter, we're talking about miracles again, and specifically the healing of the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda. Again, in the book of John, the fifth chapter. If you've missed any of this series, you can hear it again when you go to our website at studyversebyverse.com. Now, evidently, this, this pool was fed by an intermittent spring, and the people there imagined that it had special powers. Uh, some of the ancient uh, sources indicate that the color of the water was kind of reddish, which suggests it was high in mineral content. It was a mineral bath. And, you know, mineral baths are even popular today. People who have uh, suffering from medical conditions oftentimes go to a mineral bath. They've got joint issues or muscle issues. Now, if you're reading the English Standard Version, you will see that there is no verse marked verse 4. No verse marked verse 4 if you're using the English Standard Version. It's found in the King James Version. The King James Version includes the text that's missing in the English Standard Version, and it reads this, this way. Now, there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Now again, if you're reading the English Standard Version, uh, you'll note that there's no verse marked verse 4. And, the, and also the latter portion of verse 3 is not included as well. Now the verse designations were standardized based on the King James Version, which was you know, created centuries ago. And the translators of the ESV chose not to include this particular portion of text because it was of doubtful authenticity. You see, there's no Greek manuscript that contains these words that was written before 400 A.D. The oldest manuscripts don't have the latter portion of verse 3 and verse 4. Now, there are some other things that, that the, the reason the scholars chose not to include it in spite of its brevity, it's only a little more than a verse long. There are over a half a dozen words or phrases that are foreign to the writings of John, the Apostle John. Uh, they're not found anywhere in John's writing. And so the thought of the scholars is that this was a parenthetical note. It was a, a, a note, an annotation that the scholars put out at the side in the margin to explain why the people came to the spring. And that somehow over the course of time that those marginal notes migrated into the text. And that's how we got it. Now the point is this. The point is 
that the Bible does not teach that an angel actually came down and stirred the waters of that pool from time to time and healed the first person that got in. That's not what it's, the Bible is teaching. It's the Bible is teaching that this, that this was a superstition of the people of that time who were around that pool. William Barclay wrote, To us this is mere superstition, but it was the kind of belief which was spread all over the world in ancient days and which still exists today in certain places. People believed in all kinds of spirits and demons. The air was thick with them. They had their abodes in certain places. Every tree, every river, every stream, every hill, every pool had its resident spirit. Further, ancient peoples were especially impressed with the holiness of water, and especially of rivers and springs. Water was so precious and could be so powerful, it was not surprising that they would be impressed. Now, in the West, we may know water only as something which comes out of a tap. But in the ancient world, and in many places still today, water is the most valuable and potentially the most dangerous thing of all. Sir J.G. Fraser, in his book entitled Folklore in the Old Testament, quotes many instances of this reference, reverence for water. Hesiod, the Greek poet, said that when a man was about to ford a river, he should pray and wash his hands. For he who wades through a stream with unwashed hands incurs the wrath of the gods. When Persian king Xerxes came to Strymon in Thrace, his magicians offered white horses and went through other ceremonies before the army ventured to cross. Lucilius, the Roman general, offered a bull to the river Euphrates before he crossed it. And to this day, in southeast Africa, some of the Bantu tribes believe that rivers are inhabited by malevolent spirits which must be pacified by flinging a handful of corn or some other offering into the river before it is crossed. And when somebody is being drowned in the river, carried away by the river, they believe that that person is being carried away by the spirits. The Baganda in Central Africa will not rescue a person who is being carried away by the river because they believe that the spirits are carrying them away. So, you know, the people, what it's saying is the people of this time, they believed it was a superstition. You know, superstition is common amongst all mankind, even today in modern America, you know. I can remember walking home from school, which I know dates me because kids don't walk home from school anymore. But I remember hearing somebody say, uh, step on a crack and you'll break your mother's back. And it stuck on me. And so I'd walk home from school sort of like this. And more than a few times, I ran into a pole because I was trying, <clears throat> which explains some things, uh, which I was trying to avoid those cracks. I didn't want to be responsible for something like that, you know. And, and my son, when he was playing baseball, I don't remember the particulars. I think he was, had some superstition about some pair of socks or something. Mom always had to have that pair of socks, you know, and so, so he wouldn't get jinxed. And you hear the word jinx quite often, you know. Uh, some people are, are afraid of a broken mirror. Uh, others to step under a ladder. Um, some people think it's you know, okay to sin if certain conditions are met. That's another form of superstition. There's all kinds of wild superstitions that are alive even today. Now, among those who were gathered around this, these, this, these pools, this pool, was a man who had been ill for 38 years. Now, we're not told what that illness was. It, was, it could have been paralyzed or he could have been too weak because he wasn't as quick as the others that were around the pool. And he'd been so for almost 40 years, 38 years. Now, what's the point of including that? Well, the point is this. This was not some actor that was hired to sit around the pool for a few hours so that they could show a scene. 
This was a guy who had been there for a long time. Everybody knew this guy. And for Jesus to come in and this guy, after 38 years, to get up and walk around was truly something that was astounding. Verse 6. Now, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now, it might seem a strange question to us, but there are several reasons why Jesus would ask this question. First, it would get the man's attention, his full attention. It would focus on his need. It would offer him healing, and it communicated to him the depth of Jesus Christ's concern and love for him. There's also potentially another reason why Jesus asked him this question, and that is, In some societies, if somebody has an ailment, they're not expected to work. They're expected to beg. And uh, so this person could become a professional beggar. And, you know, obviously he'd been there for 38 years, and so somebody was taking care of him. And as long as he remained sick, he could continue on welfare. So maybe he didn't want to get well. Do you want to be well? You know, some people are perfectly content to remain in their condition regardless of how miserable it is. And uh, Jesus only delivered or healed people who wanted to be healed, and he only saves people who want to be saved. Verse 7, the sick man answered him, saying, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water stirred up, and while I'm going down, another one steps in before me. What he's saying is, you know, this is a religion here. And uh, only the first one in the pool gets the blessing. And, uh, and that's what religion teaches. It teaches us to, to be the first, be the best, be better than the next guy, try harder, fight your way to the top. God helps those who help themselves. Some people actually believe that's in the Bible, you know. Jesus was not interested in helping this guy be the first one into the pool. His purpose was to take him out of the competition altogether. It wasn't to make him number one in the religion. It was to experience God's grace. See, there's plenty of grace from God for all of us. There's no competition. There's no shortage. It's not just first. You know, evidently, the idea that Jesus was there to heal him never even entered his mind, which makes sense because according to verse 13, he didn't recognize Jesus. He didn't know who Jesus was. And remember that Jesus was a first century carpenter. Now think about it. No electricity. No black and decker. No power tools. Everything is done by hand. What does that tell you? Jesus was buff. Okay? So the guy probably looked at Jesus and said, yeah, he could probably pick me up and throw me in the pool and I'd get there before everybody else and I'd finally get well. But he didn't think about Jesus being there to heal him. And like many people, his expectations of what Jesus could do for him were limited to what he thought was possible. And what he didn't recognize is that he was in the presence of God incarnate and with God, all things are possible. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up, Take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. He took up his bed and walked. The three imperative verbs tell about the completeness and uh, succinctness of, of Christ's healings. To stand, to carry the mat, and to walk away. Unlike many alleged uh, miracle healings today, Jesus' healings were complete and instantaneous, and it didn't matter if the person had faith or not. You know, It, it, it proves uh, this point that Since this man had no faith in Jesus, he was healed, and he was healed completely. It tells us that there is no formula for manipulating God's healing. This man had no faith. Jesus decided to heal him. The apostle Paul had lots of faith. 
Jesus decided not to heal him. He said, my faith, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, there are some people who teach an unbiblical theology that if you have enough faith, God is obligated to heal you. And therefore, if you're not healed when you ask, it's because you don't have enough faith. It's your fault. It's an ideal scam for false preachers. You see, if perchance somebody gets healed, God and the preacher get to share the credit. But if they're not healed, it's not their fault. It's your fault. Heads I win, tails you lose. A pretty strange theology and very selfish, wouldn't you say? We'll hear more from Pastor Layton as he wraps up this particular uh, series uh, on the next edition of Study Verse by Verse. I'm Mike Trout, and we'll be back tomorrow at this same time. I hope you can join us then. This is an outreach ministry of Church of the Highlands at 1900 Monterey Drive in San Bruno, a Christ-centered Bible-teaching church. They have multiple services across the weekend and would love to see you either on a Saturday night at 5 p.m., Sunday at 7 a.m., 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., 11.30 a.m., and again at 5 p.m. That's Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. Join us tomorrow for the continuation, if you can, at this same time when Pastor Layton will once again open the Word of God and we'll study verse by verse. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.